Well, good morning. Uh, it is great to be with you all. In case you haven't noticed, this is a little bit different on a Sunday morning uh, that we're entering into this prolonged worship space. If you are new, welcome. Uh, my name is John. I am one of the pastors here. We would love to meet you over at the incredible Fire Cakes Donuts. I just have to give you a fair warning. If you have not yet partaken of the Fire Cake extravaganza, do so now. Yeah, I'm getting some amens. There we go. Uh, the Ferguson small group that is uh, on Wednesday nights brought donuts for us, so please do come over and enjoy after the service. Um, so this morning, if you have not been with us for the last 10 weeks, this is one of the longest series we have done as a community in a while. We've been sitting in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been rolling out this new invitation that all of our locations and expressions as a family of churches has been entering into called U Plus. And U Plus is the idea, the hope, that when you have an encounter with Jesus, uh, you actually find Jesus invites you into a life more than just you, into this life of flourishing and abundance where you have a relationship with God, where you're connected to the church, and where you even have a purpose in the world. As we've been walking with Jesus, trying to ask what that looks like, what this U-plus life looks like, uh, we've been highlighting this tool we've been using as a community that we're calling U-plus Conversations. U-plus Conversations. The gist of it is you sit down with one of us, could be me, could be a staff member, could be a small group leader, could be a friend, and you uh, follow this simple pre-work tool we have. It's about 30 minutes of reflecting, journaling. You then get together, and you get to lead in the conversation where you think God is working in your life. Where is God moving? Where do you want to grow? What are some of your hopes? Where do you feel stuck? And as we sit and listen with you, we get to workshop with you. What would a plan look like over this next year for you to step more and more into this U plus life? But if you remember where we started with this series, reflecting on how powerful a conversation could be, we, there actually was an illustration that I love, the story that goes back to the early 80s in which, as legend has it, Steve Jobs is a young 28-year-old, and he's called up John Scully, who's one of the most wealthy, most powerful CEOs in America at the time, running Pepsi-Cola, right? And John Scully starts having conversations with this young hotshot, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs keeps sharing with him how incredible this new personal computer revolution is going to be that's going to take place through Apple. And yet, as John Scully listens over and over again, he, he just goes, Steve, like, why would I ever want to leave what I have to step into what you're inviting me into? And famously, as John Scully turns to say, to turn Steve down as a no, this is his last get together. He's ready to finally tell Steve, like, I'm not doing it. Uh, Steve Jobs gets into his face, uncomfortably close, as John Scully remembers it. And Steve Jobs says to him, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar water? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? What I love about that story is that something in me deeply resonates with the longing to change the world. And yet, as we wrap up this series, I can't help but wonder for us, like most of us, if we're being honest, feel like our lives are stuck selling sugar water, aren't we? Like, if we really think about the grinds that we get into, the habits, the ruts, the nine to five, uh, the sort of like kind of working towards something that we're not really sure of, like maybe this next year, good things, better things might happen. And yet we're just kind of aimlessly wandering, hoping, struggling, failing. And I wonder for us, Part of the reason we've been leaning into this series is I wonder for most of us if there isn't a sense that we struggle, we struggle to look 
to Jesus as the answer to that question. What if a conversation could invite you into changing the world? I, I think Jesus, for many reasons, is not always the first place we turn. And so this morning, I wanted to invite you into a passage, just as we're moving through this worship experience. And the way this is going to work, I'm going to walk you through this passage. I'll just give you a few pointers, guidance on what this text is doing. And after we've entered into it together, I want to invite you to pray with me as we walk through this passage once more. So we're going to do like an immersion into this experience where a couple disciples have a conversation with Jesus that changes their life. Are you ready? Let's do this. Okay, so we're going to open up to the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, you can feel free to join me. We'll have it up on the screen. This is Luke 24. And the context is that this passage takes place after Jesus has died in Jerusalem. And actually, it is the Sunday, the first Sunday, upon which Jesus has resurrected. And yet, what we're going to encounter are two of these disciples, those who had been following Jesus, and we're going to walk with them for a moment on this journey that they're actually making back home. And so we find out they live in this village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. So here's what the text says. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is the same day. This is Sunday. The village is about seven miles, so picture a nice, steady three-and-a-half-hour walk. It's a pretty solid walk. Uh, conversation can flow for three and a half hours. And yet as they're walking, these guys are animatedly talking to each other. I mean, a lot has just happened over this weekend that they've had. And suddenly this stranger approaches, who is in fact Jesus, and yet they do not recognize him. I think what's so interesting about this passage, where this passage hits home for me, is I have to pause and wonder, like, is there a sense in which I'm so distracted as I am talking and thinking and consumed with all of these very exciting things going on in our world. I mean, there's politics, there's economics, there's news, there's entertainment. Have you seen the newest Marvel movie? And suddenly, a stranger is walking in my midst, and I don't even have the attention to notice that it is, in fact, Jesus. If that's true for these disciples, listen to what they're talking about. This is the next verse, verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I think what moves me so much about this scene is that as these disciples start talking, you can catch there, there really was faith, right? They see Jesus as something special. They see Jesus as a prophet, powerful in word and deed amongst the people and amongst God. And yet the key line, the key line that hits right at home for me is when they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I wonder if distraction for many of us is one of the things holding us back from turning our lives 
back to God. I also personally would acknowledge that disillusionment, the sense of we had hoped, is one of the many things that can cut to the heart of a follower of Jesus, cut to the heart of someone who grew up in the church, cut to the heart of someone who's longing, hoping, wanting to change the world, and yet maybe you've tried this Jesus thing before and you're like, we had hoped he would be the one to change our lives. As these disciples keep talking, uh, they actually double down on their disillusionment. And this is the root of what disillusionment does. I was just looking at the word disillusionment uh, because that's something I do in my free time. And uh, disillusionment, if you sit with it, actually is to be freed from an illusion, right? To be released from something that was an illusion. Uh, you feel the heaviness that what these disciples essentially say are saying is, like, this whole thing we were starting to really believe might change everything. This Jesus we had been following it was all just an illusion. So they say to him, what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. I love that the disciples, if you actually listen closely, right, there's kind of some counter- testimony. There's some tension in the data. Like, on the one hand, these guys are like, listen, he died. We saw it, right? Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. But then on the other hand, they're like, but uh, the tomb is empty. And these women were saying crazy things about an angel and visions they were having. But then we went and checked it out, and you know, it's not as good as we had hoped. I think for many of us, trying to walk out our faith, particularly in the city, we find ourselves caught between these tension data points, don't we? They're like, on the one hand, church feels good, and there's something moving and meaningful when I'm here in this community, and I want more of this when my heart kind of comes alive. And yet, on the other hand, sleep on Sundays is nice, and brunch tastes very good. And we find ourselves sort of stuck in this like distracted, disillusioned cycle where we feels like we're just trying to summon the hope to believe in what we had previously believed. And yet sometimes we're walking on this road and it feels hard. It feels just frustrating and disappointing. Like we don't quite know where we're supposed to turn. Now, here's where Jesus takes them as they have an encounter with Jesus He's going to say in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus here gives them a Bible lesson, which as a pastor, I can't help but note, would of course be highly entertaining. Like, I'd love to know what Jesus did in that conversation. But I think under the surface of the scriptures being something Jesus points them to, do you notice that Jesus actually zeroes in on suffering? And I think for most of us, it is our suffering that has the strongest potential to disrupt our faith. Our suffering is actually that which brings us into disillusionment and maybe even into distraction. Yet Jesus is trying to point them in their suffering to a bigger story they did not realize they were in. These disciples can only see the end, which is death, 
and a former Messiah who's now buried in the ground. What Jesus says is, if you pay attention to the story, God has always been taking suffering and working through suffering. Something far greater, far more profound is taking place than just sugar water. In fact, like suffering is the point where God moves most in the world. Now, the disciples are slowly starting to get it. I love, just track with their turn here. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Let me pause just here for one second. Do you notice it takes them urging Jesus to stay for him to linger? I wonder here, as we're starting to have these conversations, you plus conversations, as we're talking about flourishing, sometimes the challenging thought is that we actually have to want Jesus to stay before Jesus chooses to linger. This morning, some of creating the space of this worship experience is that we're trying to press Jesus to come be with us right here and right now this morning. This is the struggle for all of us as we are distracted and disillusioned. Have we got our hearts pointed out yet? Have we tasted just enough of this story that Jesus might be telling to say, Jesus, can you stay Can you just keep this conversation going a little bit longer? So now here's what happens, verse 30, when they're at the table with him. He takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and begins to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. The early church couldn't help but notice that the exact same four verbs Jesus is going to use at the Last Supper When Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it to them. These are the same four verbs that happen here. And so the early church said, when we do communion, when we break the bread, Jesus is is here. Like, Jesus wants to be seen. Jesus wants to be recognized by us. Uh, I love, if we go to the close of the passage, that these disciples turn to each other as soon as this happens, and they say, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened to us the scriptures. And at once they get up and they rush back to Jerusalem because they have a story they need to tell. So this morning, I want to lead us back through this scripture passage just in a prayer. And my, my hope in opening up this passage for you is that I sense in our community as we've been having conversations, like these two struggles of these disciples are the very same struggles that many of us in this room are struggling with today. Some of us are very distracted, and so some of what this you plus conversation does is it helps focus us. Like, what would it mean if you could actually set time aside in your life to pursue Jesus? Yet others of us are, in fact, deeply disillusioned We've been hurt, we're distracted, we're, we're sort of numbed out. There's pain as, in terms of what had happened before, and many of us are holding on to those we had hoped. And what we are praying for, even this morning, for you, if that is you, is that the real gift you need is not more ideas, it's not more content, it's not even an encouraging talk. What you need is an encounter, a conversation with Jesus himself. 
So for that reason, I want to create some space in prayer just for you to listen to see what God is doing in your life, where God might be stirring. And so I'm going to have Sarah come out and play over us. This is just going to be about five minutes or so, and I want to encourage you to go ahead and get comfortable, to settle in. If you've never done this before, all we're going to do is just create some space in quiet for you to listen, settle in to where you're coming in this morning, and even just use your imagination to say, what's, what's God maybe speaking through this scripture passage that I wouldn't have heard before? So go ahead and put your feet on the ground. Uh, you can set your hands either comfortably on your knees. You can close your eyes if you're comfortable. That tends to help us focus. And much as Lizzie already did with us, I just want to invite you to first breathe. So you can go ahead and take a deep breath in. And then you can take a slow exhale. And as you breathe in again, and slowly exhale, you can keep going. You'll start to notice that there may be feelings fluttering up in you right now. Maybe there's some feelings of longing as you hear the story of these two disciples who even in their distraction found Jesus, were talked to by Jesus. Or maybe you'll notice there's a little bit of pain, a twinge of discomfort, even now sitting in this prayer. Like I've been here before, I've tried this faith thing and it has hurt. As we walk back through this passage, I'm just going to describe journeying with these disciples. You can let your imagination listen to where God is moving. I want to let your mind slowly go back as if you too are walking away from Jerusalem. What questions do you find occupying your mind? Where are you distracted right now? Is it with work? Different relationships? Is it the news cycle or your social feed? Are there any habits or hang-ups that just seem to like be nagging your mind? As you're walking away from Jerusalem, a man approaches and begins to walk with you. This man speaks to you warmly probing even. He asks you this question, what's on your mind right now? You begin to tell him. You've got a list of things that are buzzing around your heart. And he patiently listens. Even now in this moment, what chatter would you want to bring to this stranger you are walking with along the road? Yet the more you speak, the more this stranger begins to look at you very intentionally. And eventually he begins to speak back in return. The stranger actually has a story to tell. Did you not see, he says. 
Did you not know where God has been moving all this time? If Jesus was going to speak to you this morning, what do you think he would say to you? As this man speaks to you, you start to find yourself hoping again. Maybe, just maybe, those pressure points and pain where the disillusionment has crept in, those we had hoped are actually places where God wants to move and to speak. As the night is approaching, you notice this man seems to be traveling on, yet something in you knows you need even more from him. So you press him, please, sir, don't leave just yet. Come in and have a meal with me. Could we extend this conversation just a little bit longer? Smiling, the man nods and comes to your table. There, sitting with you, the man takes, blesses, breaks bread, and as he hands it to you, you suddenly see this has been Jesus all along. You recognize his hands as he offers you the bread. You see the one you have known all this time and yet for some reason could not see. And before he goes, Jesus just gently places a hand on yours and says, I know, I know how hard it can be to hold on to faith in a world that denies who I claim to be. Yet know that I am with you always and once more, believe. Lord, is there any word that you have here for hearts that have been broken, for souls that are weary? Jesus, we know you are here, even if it has felt like you've been a stranger in our midst. Even now, Jesus, this morning, give us eyes to see where you are moving, where you are speaking, where you are healing in our world. And come now into this place, Spirit of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.